Hey everybody, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for following Jesus. If we haven't met yet, my name is Tony and I'm your host, and I desperately and passionately want to help you follow Jesus in very practical ways. Today on the podcast, a legend, Sandra Stanley. Sandra is the wife to uh, lead pastor for North Point Ministries, Andy Stanley. They've got a brand new resource out called Parenting, and Sandra and I get into an incredible conversation about what it means to parent for relationships, right? And how do we focus on building relationships when we lean into these ideas? So we get into so many things, and uh, I just really hope you enjoy this conversation. It was a fun one, and I know for a fact she'll be back uh, and I think this is going to be one of those conversations that if you've got kids or you know somebody who's got kids, you're going to want to listen to it. If it is helpful for you, do me a favor. Hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts and share this episode with a friend. Maybe somebody who you know um, struggles with parenting and how to do it with the relationship in mind. So now, without any further ado, here's my conversation with Sandra Stanley. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm so excited today to have uh, author and teacher and parent extraordinaire, Sandra Stanley. Sandra, thank you so much for being here today. Well, thanks so much for having me. I've been looking forward to it. Well, I always like to start kind of from the macro perspective. You done a, uh, have done a lot of things professionally and personally over the years. I'm always curious, how, how would you describe the calling that God has placed on your life? Wow. Uh, I, this is such an interesting question to me because I don't think I've ever really put words around it before. Hmm. Um, but it's fun to think about. So here's, here's what I came up with. Um, so I'm married into ministry. I knew I was doing that, but standing where I stand now, I don't think I had a clue about what that actually meant. (laughs) And that's probably a good thing in a, in some ways. Um, but here's the thing about my situation, Tony. I am married to a man who has exceptional communication and leadership skills, and that's paired with just a massive love for God and a yeah. desire to follow Jesus. And while I don't minimize the gifts that God has given me, and I do love leaning into those, I realized early in our marriage that anything I could do to help Andy leverage his giftedness to lead more people to Christ and to teach people what it looks like to be Jesus followers, then that just seems like my highest and best use or my actual calling. And, you know, this isn't an argument for complementarianism or anything like that. It's just simply that I'm not confused about why God put me in the seat he put me in, um, in ministry with Andy. And he is the first and the loudest person to encourage me to pursue whatever is fulfilling and fun for me and whatever I feel like God is calling me to do. And in these post heavy duty parenting years, I've had a lot more time to leverage more of that and to do more. But at the end of the day, I really see my calling as a partnership with Andy in the Mm. ministry that we have together. And that has just brought so much joy to both of us as we've navigated 35 years of doing ministry. We were in student ministry for about 10 years and then started North Point. And so um, it's just been a cool journey. And I think really a calling for both of us. Yeah. And I, I like the way you say that, right? Like it's, it just became really clear to you. And I think the more time that we spend with the Lord, obviously the more familiar we are with his voice. One of the questions that I love to ask people is how, how do you discern God's voice? Like, if, mm. if Andy's anything like me, like I'm always checking with my wife, like, 
hey, we should probably do this or <laughs> the, so the I, other version of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> right, that you live right. with. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how do you, how do you determine God's voice in in you the know, calling that He's placed on both your lives? I think what you said just a second ago, time alone with God. Um, in the regular rhythm of our lives, in the regular rhythm of our day um, is, is so important. I think that's where I feel like I can take my confusion and my, you know, kind of cloudy things that are a little cloudy as it relates to decision-making. And while God doesn't speak to me audibly, that's just the place where I get quiet and am able to hand it over to him and say, Hey, would you just direct my steps? Hmm. Um, I'm walking into a complicated day or we're walking into a complicated season. Would you just guide and direct our steps? And I have found for me when that is a part of the regular rhythm of my days, first thing in the morning is what works for me. When that's part of my regular rhythm, I have far more clarity and I think maybe wisdom um, to to see what's ahead and, and which way the Lord wants me to go. One of the prayers that Andy and I have prayed our whole marriage, and we taught our kids this prayer when they were little bitty kids and prayed it with them all the way through leaving our home. And that's just simply this, Lord, give us the wisdom to know what's right and the courage to do what's right, even when it's hard. Give us the wisdom to know what's right and the courage to do what's right, even when it's hard. And we've just seen over the decades, God just, he, I think he delights in answering that question and answering that prayer, you know, giving us some direction, giving us some wisdom, and then giving us courage to move forward. Um, but I think that regular rhythm of time alone with him is where, is where it happens for me. Now, obviously, that that uh, that time when you've got young kids is way different than when you have older kids, and and then and now you know no kids in the home, right? An empty nester. Um, how did you kind of? I, we like to use the phrase "steal inches" when you had young kids, and obviously, you guys are doing the church plant thing, which then you know blew up. How did you kind of steal inches with the Lord in that season of your life when it probably felt a lot like quicksand? Great question. Great question. The, um, yeah, this, this, the load of the, of the different seasons of life certainly dictate how much time we have. I love your, I love your phrase stealing inches. That's, that's a great way to say it. I have, you know, in every season of parenting, every, in every different stage of being a mom, um, it has looked different for me. Mm -hmm. My time alone with the Lord has just looked different. There were seasons where I was like, God, I don't even know how we're going to have a conversation today. So I'm going to have it while I'm folding clothes. I'm going to have it while I'm pushing a stroller up the street, you know, or while I'm driving in my car with, you know, with kids in the back. So, every, you know, they're just, it, I think for me, it has ebbed and, and flowed through the different, through the different seasons. But when they were little, it really came down to me just getting up earlier, which oh, wow. also yeah. then came down to me going to bed earlier. <laughs> so <laughs> right. you know, there's a level of self-control in going to bed so that I know I can get up in the morning and have my time alone with the Lord. But it was inevitable that the moment I sat down and got quiet and got my Bible in my lap, you know, and my commentary where it needed to be and all the things, somebody woke up. Mm -hmm. so, so the reality of that season of life is what it is. And so I think as moms, especially, we just have to sometimes cut ourselves a little slack and know that God sees us and, and, um, and understands the season that we're in. But one of the great things about them waking up once they're, you know, get themselves out of the bed or, you know, climb out of the crib or whatever it is that they do is they come down and they see you modeling something that you're going to want 
to be a habit for them later in their lives. So I think that's also a valuable thing. We can kind of spin what seems to be a negative thing into a positive and say, you know what? Hey, honey, I know, you know, mommy's having her quiet time right now. Dad's having his quiet time right now. You're welcome to be in here, but you may not talk right now because we're having our time with the Lord. So, you know, those are opportunities, I think, sometimes to model some important things for our kids. And I know that that's one of the things you talk about in the book is is kind of how to create that environment where your kids might engage in quiet time. Do you guys do any, or did you guys do any like family devotionals? I've got a 17 year old, a 13 year old and an 11 year old. So I've got two boys and a princess. Yeah. And um, we're kind of in that season where it's like, you know, we're very similar to what you talk about in the book. We're parenting for the relationship. Um, But I also really want to lean into like, Hey, don't, don't leave out on that family devotional time too. How did you guys navigate that tension? Yeah. You know, a lot of times for us, when it came to talking about biblical principles or things like that, it was in in those normal conversations around the dinner table, mm. things that would come up, decisions that we were making, things that were happening to someone, you know, maybe outside of our family that we were all talking about and processing through. Those are, those are the, the times I think where, our faith kind of screams the loudest as our kids begin to see our faith intersect with real life situations and and decisions that we're making. So a lot of times it was conversations around the dinner table. Andy or I might come to the table kind of with an idea of some specific thing we wanted to talk about, or, um, you know, or maybe it just kind of happened organically. Uh, But we always had intentional prayer time with our kids, not necessarily, hey, let's all open our Bibles together and, you know, study this. Um, As it relates to them having their own time, though, in Bible study and in scripture and kind of getting our kids to have quiet times, that also looked a little different in every season. I think that as our kids got older, well, threaded through every season of our parenting journey was the encouragement for our kids to own their faith. Yeah. We didn't want, you know, church, religion, faith, any of that just to be something that's mom and dad's. And we and we didn't want it to be something that we just do on Sundays. We really did want our kids to come to faith in Jesus, be baptized to begin understanding what being a Jesus follower means Mm. in every different context of their lives. And in your situation with, you know, 17, 17, 16 and 14, is that what you said? 13 and 11, 17, 13 and 11. Yeah. And those seasons, you know, it looks different because they're making different decisions, but we wanted our kids to understand in the real life context of their lives, what it means. And when it came to a devotional life, you know, part of that for us was of course, encouraging it, but modeling it and then figuring out ways to make it easy for them, encouraging it. We, you know, as, as the mom, I was the one that was home with them really mostly in the mornings. And I would just kind of figure out, Hey, is this kid a morning person or a night person? And just encourage them um, to make that a priority. We were both modeling it for them. So encouraging it, modeling it, and then making it easy. I think in every season of the parenting journey, we made sure our kids had age appropriate Bibles. You know, when they were really little before they could read, we had picture books and little Bible story books we would read to them as they could read on their own. You know, we would progress to the next kind of thing where they could, you know, just begin kind of owning it for themselves and, and doing that every Easter in their Easter baskets along 
along with the chocolate and the flip-flops and all the normal, you know, Easter basket things, I always had quiet time supplies in there based on what they were interested in. So, you know, a new Bible or a biography, an autobiography by a, an athlete, you know, that maybe they, maybe a person of faith that has been successful in sports and wrote their story. Um, for Allie, she was so creative and artsy. She always loved journals and pens and highlighters. So, you know, knowing your kids and encouraging them based on their own proclivities, I think is really important and, and, um, and modeling it. So encouraging it, modeling it, making it easy. It, it's so important. We never forced our kids to have quiet times. We encouraged it. Um, never forced it. That just seems a little counterproductive as it relates to somebody owning their faith, but sure. um, always, always encouraged it. Uh, one of the things that I appreciate about the the book, the um, the writing itself is the way that you and Andy kind of weave in and out of each other's stories. And, and so I'm always interested to hear about the creative process. What was it like to work on a book with your husband, especially I mean, obviously your husband's written lots of books. Yep. It's a, I mean, and you, you know, you've obviously been a part of that process as well. What's that, what's that like? Cause when I was told my wife, Hey, we should write a book together. She about laughed herself right out of the room. <laughs> <laughs> well, an advantage that we have is we are both Enneagram ones. Okay. So we have a lot of similarities as it relates to how we work and how we think and, you know, that kind of thing. So that maybe gave us a little bit of an advantage doing a project together. Um, but we, it really, it was fun. And when I think back on it, I really, one of the words is fun. We had mm. a great time. Part of it is because we parented together. So as we were writing this book on parenting, we were reminding each other of stories. And I've always been a journaler during my quiet time. So I pulled out some old journals and went back through and kind of read stuff and was reminded of funny stories of really pivotal circumstances with our kids that contributed to part of their stories and their faith journeys. And I was just reminded of things. So we had a great time walking down memory lane and you know, saying, oh, remember when Allie so-and-so-and-so or when Andrew or Garrett? So that was kind of fun. Um, but I th do think we had a little bit of an advantage. And we wrote separate chapters. Sure. So while he's working on one chapter, I was working on something completely different. So we weren't collaborating on the, on the same chapters exactly, although we were reading each other's chapters and making suggestions or, hey, I don't think, you know, Allie would like it if you said that. Or, you know, let's take that out. Or, you know, let's not be that transparent. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Um, so, um, did, but it was a fun process. It did was you guys, uh, did it you ever have to. more creative than I am. So. Oh, that's, that's so interesting. Did, did you guys ever, did you have to um, correct the way he told the story a couple of times? My, my <laughs> wife and I have that loving relationship. Oh yeah. We, yeah. <laughs> you, it's so funny how you remember things differently. Or I would say, I told the kid so-and-so and so. He's like, yeah, I think I told him that. I'm like, oh, okay, well, maybe. <laughs> so we'll just agree <laughs> to disagree. Um, but yeah, so that that was kind of funny. I could, I could see how completely different personalities or temperaments would have a little bit of a harder time doing a project together because you do kind of you know, have to do it in sort of an orderly way. Mm. And we both are, are pretty orderly. So that, that made you know, file sharing a little easier. You mentioned journaling, and I, I think um, a lot of times people hear that on the podcast, and they're always like, oh, I want to be a journaler. I want to do that because it feels like such an, a gift to yourself later in life, like you mentioned. Yeah. 
Um, mm-hmm. Do you have any tips on journaling or kind of are there anything that you absolutely write down every morning or anything we can steal there? Oh, that's that's a great question. When I had my second child, it was our second son. So our kids are Andrew is 30, about to turn 31 next month. Garrett is 29 and then Allie is 27. And when Garrett was born, there was a lady in my life who was discipling me and she was all about journaling. And mm. um and again, I'm pretty orderly and, you know, kind of organized and like systems and stuff like that. So it it transitioned pretty easy for me, but she, I'll tell you what she encouraged me to do. And I'm a handwriter. So, you know, I understand people like to journal on their computers or on their iPads. That's just an enormous distraction for me. If I have technology in my quiet time chair with me, I'm just too distracted. So I leave my iPad and my phone downstairs when I go up to my quiet time chair. I, that's just me. I just can't. I just am not trustworthy enough to stay focused. Um, so I, she encouraged me to go to an office supply store and get a ledger. So it's like a rectangle shape, hardback mm. kind of account ledger kind of thing. And that's what I have used since Garrett, since 1994 when Garrett was oh, wow. born. And so I have all these, you know, kind of ledger books that are, are full of, full of all the things. But to answer your question about what I write, sometimes it's prayers. Sometimes it's quiet time insights or something I'm studying in the Bible. Sometimes it's just what happened like a diary almost. Um, other times when the kids were little, I tried so hard to write down all the funny things because everybody says, you think you'll never forget the funny things your kids say, but you will forget them. And I'm telling you, it is so true. When I went back and started reading those old journals, I was finding the most, the funniest stories that I had totally forgotten about. I was constantly taking pictures, you know, grabbing, getting, going down, getting my phone, taking a picture of my journal and texting it to the kids like, oh, look at this cute thing that you did. And I think they were, you know, kind of getting tired of it, except for Allie. She loved reading about herself, but, um, Anyway, so that's kind of what journaling has been to me, kind of a catch-all. It's, I don't, it's not rigid. I don't have to do it every day. Um, but when there's a quiet time thing that jumps out at me or a prayer or something I want to come back to, I always just try to journal that. And fun stories. One of the things that I appreciate about the way that you guys um, talk about discipline and when to discipline your kids is it's all about restoring the relationship. I'm wondering if you could share a little bit about the the three D's that you kind of talk about in the book and and kind of what that looks like in terms of uh, the larger picture of restoring relationships. Yeah. Well, one of the things that we talk about, and we did not come up with this on our own. We learned this when, when we were in, in the early stages of parenting. We were with our small group doing every parenting study we could find, every book we could find, everything, because we just so badly wanted to get it right. Um, yeah. And so we um, learned from somebody else, actually from several different sources, about the four stages of parenting. So you've got mm. the discipline years when they're like zero to five years old. You got the training years from like five to 12. You got the coaching years that are like 12 to 18. And then the friendship years after that. So a lot of our discipline it all depended on the season of life that we were in, obviously. And so during those discipline years, the like when they were really little, when they were learning that there are consequences for actions, those were the years we disciplined for what we call the three D's. We always disciplined for disobedience, dishonesty, and disrespect. Mm. 
disobedience, dishonesty, and disrespect. Other things were childish things. And we didn't discipline our kids for childishness. Children are childish. That's just, you know, what they do. So we would coach our kids through childishness. We would teach our kids and train our kids through childish things, but we disciplined for disobedience, dishonesty, and disrespect. And the reason we chose those three things is because we were parenting with relationships in mind. And on the other side of disobedience, on the other side of dishonesty, and on the other side of disrespect are relationships that are negatively impacted. And so those were the things that we disciplined toward. We were always disciplining toward relationship restoration. Mm. So when they're little in those discipline years, you know, you're just trying to help them get it, that life deals consequences for our actions, good and bad. And then as we got into those training years, we were still disciplining for those same things, but we were explaining while we were training. We were helping our kids understand the why behind the what of what we were asking them to do or not to do. And then we were practicing like crazy, all those things to turn them into habits. So during the training years, you're explaining while you're training and then you're practicing like crazy to turn them into habits. And during those training years, you know, kind of five to 12, you can turn everything into a game with your kids. Five to 12 years old, they love it. They want to have fun. They want to play with you. They want to be with you. And everything is fun and nothing is dumb. Mm. When they turn 12, Everything is dumb and nothing is fun from there Amen. on. To Amen. <laughs> so those are the years, those training years, you just want to, you know, turn everything into games and just practice and train and all that. Then the coaching years, you're still disciplining some, um, but like a coach, you know, you're yeah. kind of letting them figure it out and you're just standing on the sidelines a little more and you yank them off the field every once in a while. Of course, you're correcting things, but mostly during those coaching years, 12 to 18, kind of where you are really with yeah. almost all three of yours, um, you're just kind of helping them kind of begin to be able to do life without you completely involved and entrenched in the details. And then the friendship years are the years after that. And you're still doing some coaching. Obviously your kids are, you know, 18, 19, 20, they're still needing you for a lot of things. You're still coaching some, but that's the, you know, the longer season of life where you just get to begin to enjoy them more. And that's kind of how it was broken down for us. And it seemed important when we were learning about it when they were three ish. Um, We had no idea how important that structure would be because our kids move from one stage to the next, whether we do or not. So if we can understand it and get behind it and be a, um, choose our approaches and our words and our methods of discipline, all that, according to the season they're in, it just all goes a lot more smoothly. Uh, that was a is, long answer to a very simple. I, it was question. great. No, yeah. it was great. It was great. As we're here for the long answers all the time. Yeah. Um, I, so I'm going to ask you this, and this is for me, and I don't know if it's going to benefit any other listener, but um, Karen and I, my wife, uh, we have been talking about what it's like to our first, our oldest son is getting ready to go into a senior year, and he's got some very big goals about the Naval Academy, and so we're we're oh, grieving wow. the the loss of what our tight knit group of the five I of us. Know. Right. Yeah. I, and so I'm curious, how, how did you guys deal with the grief of watching kids grow up? And, and it's, it's not, it's not bad grief. It's like, it's like a, almost like a holy grief because I'm so yeah. proud of him, but yeah. also like, I, it's going to be really sad in yep. a good way, not having him here. 
Yeah. Well, it's almost like your kids start doing the things that you've raised them to do. And you're like, oh, I forgot that meant without me. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, raise them to be as responsible adults and responsible adults don't stay attached to their parents. That's counterproductive, right? Yeah. Um, but it, it was hard. I remember when Andrew headed off to college, he's our oldest. And so when he headed off to college, I thought, oh my word, I have not been sensitive enough to my friends as their kids have left for college, you know, for the ones that went before. I was like, this is really hard. I didn't know it. Um, but I, you know, you, one of the things that I began doing when, Aunt, because our kids are all fairly close in age, they're all like sure. 20 months apart. So when Andrew hit about 10th grade, ninth, 10th grade, I realized, man, we are just like three years away from him launching. And Garrett was just one school year behind him. So when mm -hmm. Andrew left, the next year Garrett would leave. And then two years later, Allie would leave. And so I began praying, Tony. I just... I just began in my quiet time asking God to begin casting some vision for the next season of my life. Oh, wow. And I recognized that I had an unusual platform of influence, but we all have platforms of influence. Mm. Um, and I didn't want to waste it. So I, my prayer became, God, would you just begin... Um, begin just casting some vision for what you have for me next. I don't want to just waste my time. I want to leverage it for your kingdom and your glory and not mine. I knew that I could be busy and just do stuff and my days would go by and I'd get to the end of the next season with maybe, maybe not that much to show for it. So I wanted to be more strategic and just begin begging God to cast vision for what was next. And and he answered that prayer in a way that I would not have expected. And if he had told me ahead of time what it was going to mean, I would have said, okay, never mind. Never mind. <laughs> I'm just going to do my thing. <laughs> but he called us to a foster care journey, which was hard yeah. and awesome and hard. <laughs> and so it just, you know, was about 10 years of fostering kids who were coming from hard places and, God just slowly through that time of praying for vision, he just slowly began giving me little baby steps in a direction that I didn't know I was going in. And then all of a sudden felt the calling for it. And Andy did as well. And that, so that was what we stepped into next. And so to answer your question, you know, here's where we're standing, you know, what do we do? I would say, begin just asking God to cast some vision for what's next, because mm. He will give you something that will be so fulfilling and so inside the wheelhouse of your abilities and your giftedness, because he's the one that gifted you and yeah. gave you the abilities. And so, you know, if you're brave enough, that's a great prayer to pray. And the truth is there isn't fulfillment and true joy and all those things that we know as believers outside of his will for our lives anyway. And so it's really a great prayer to pray. And I, um, I found that that was a growth time for us that I would not have had any other way. And while it was hard, it was probably the best thing we've ever done outside of having our own kids. Hey guys, just pausing this conversation with Sandra to remind you to check out Follow to Lead Coaching. Follow the number two leadcoaching.com is your go-to place for all the information on strategic planning, individual coaching, group coaching, marriage coaching. We're doing it all and I'm so excited to be doing this with you. So if you're in a place in your life where you want more clarity on your mission, vision, or values, go to follow the number two leadcoaching.com and set up your introductory appointment today. I'm so excited to be offering this to you, my podcast listeners.
Now, without any further ado, let's finish up this conversation with Mrs. Stanley. Uh, I I am curious about fostering in the sense of uh, it's such it feels like such an emotional and both physically exhausting kind of practice. And I know you're mm. a huge advocate for fostering and for people to go down that journey. I, I'm going to ask a really hard question, so feel free yeah. to pass on it. W- what did fostering teach you about the character of God? Oh, <laughs> it taught me that He is sufficient mm. and He is able to give us what we need on the hardest days. And it was so interesting to me because there would be days that were really hard. Um, we So our foster care journey, here's what it looked like to set the stage a little bit. Um, we tended to get kids in groups of threes and we, st- because we had space for that, our Andrew was gone and we had another extra bedroom. Garrett was heading out, you know, pretty quick after that. And we started off just doing respite. So we were partnering with another foster family and we would have the kids on the weekends mm. or we would um, be babysitters for them. We would do all of that. So that's how it started. And the family that we were, fo- were rest doing respite for, had some things happen in their home where the the girls, it was three girls, had to be transitioned out. And we were their respite parents. And so they transitioned to live with us because they already knew us. They were comfortable with us. So they moved in with us. And we had them for about six or seven months. And then their parents' rights were terminated by the judge. And they were going to be placed with a foster to adopt family, which was actually the family that they had come from. They got some extra training to deal with some things. And so long story short, they transitioned back to that family and Mm. we became respite again. Um, Through a whole bunch of circumstances and things that happened, one of the girls ended up not being adopted. She was trying to sabotage and do some stuff that, you know, she didn't want any of them to be adopted. And so the other two ended up being adopted. She didn't. She was in a group home for a little while. Andy and I were getting her every weekend and then getting the other girls so that we could keep them together. She had kind of burned some bridges in the other home. Um, And so we ended up taking her and keeping her all the way till she was just about 18 years old. And um, so, you know, our hardest time, and we had a few others that we were doing respite for along the way as well. But our hardest season really was with her um, at about, you know, kind of 15, 16. And there were just days, Tony, where I thought, I just don't know if we can do this. I don't know if I can do this. And God would show up so big and his timing would be so good because when I was really struggling, Andy would be great. When Andy was struggling, I would be great. And God just kind of met us with his sufficiency in those moments. And we were able to sustain through that placement, (laughs) even through the days that we thought maybe we wouldn't. Did you happen to see the movie Instant Family? I didn't. um, It's a movie about foster care. It was really good. I I, um, had Mark Wahlberg in it. I think he was one of the main actors. And there's this scene and they've got three kids. They're kind of fostering and potentially fostering to adopt. And there's this scene where they're sitting on their bed and they've had a really hard day and they're looking at each other and they're like, okay, how can we get out of this and still look great? (laughs) (laughs) And when Andy and I were watching that movie, we were like, oh my word, we might not have said it exactly like that, but there were days we thought, how can we get out of this and still, you know, still look great? (laughs) So it was, it was just kind of an interesting, an interesting journey. But what I learned about God, honestly, was he is sufficient even in the hardest of days. And 
I think it was so tied to my rhythm with him in the mornings Mm. as well. It just goes back to that. That's where he met me. That's where he filled me up with what I needed for that day. And that's, you know, a lot of us deal with those things in our own parenting journey, not just foster care, in our marriages, with our own kids, with our jobs. You know, you just feel like you're getting wrung out every single day. And I think as we are faithful in that rhythm of our day with our Heavenly Father and we are obeying in all the big things, He just meets us with even the small things. Uh, One of the things that I I was thinking about, you mentioned that you and Andy are both Enneagram Ones. And I I know one of the hallmarks of Enneagram Ones is that inner critic. Uh, Mm -hmm. What's it like trying to parent (laughs) with two people who are probably hypercritical of themselves and yeah. what may or may not be happening in the room. Well, Andy is classic one. So he has the inner critic. I don't know what kind of hybrid one I am, <laughs> but I have a, I don't have it. Oh, and it's good. made me question whether I was really a one. And so then I think, okay, maybe I'm a nine. Cause I really do like to bring peace to everybody. Or maybe I'm a three. Cause I do like to be the favorite. And, you know, so you know, you're kind of going through all the different things. He, so I told Andy when I first read Road Back to You, mm-hmm. I told Andy, I said, You're a five. Mm. And he's like, I am. And I said, Yeah, you're a five. This was before he, the, the one wasn't even in the equation. Sure. He just, he was brand new. He didn't even know. So I just diagnosed him. And I said, You're a five. And here's why you're a five. Every single morning, you're, you are, you wake up with a certain amount of capacity for all the things that you have on your schedule. Everything is allocated. So if there's a wrench thrown in, you know, the day, you don't handle it very well because all of your emotion is already allocated based on your plan. And so that's apparently a five thing. And that was what I read. And I thought, oh, that's that's Andy. He's a five. So I don't know where he was. He was speaking about some other topic and he threw in that he's an Enneagram five. Well, Ian Cron was in the audience. So maybe it was Catalyst. I don't know where it was. Sure. And Ian Cron, um, the Andy was walking to his car after it was over and he heard somebody go, Andy. And he turned around. He said, I'm Ian Cron. You're not a five. You're a one. And so Andy turned around and he walked over and they had a little chat. He said, Andy, do you, do you have an inner critic? And Andy said, doesn't everybody? And he said, no, mm. only ones. <laughs> so, I mean, I thought he was a five. Ian thinks he's a one. We're going with one because Ian's the pro, clearly. Sure. Um, so all that to say, Andy has the inner critic. I don't really. And the way that manifests, to answer your question with him, is he really does question everything. I am confident even when I'm wrong, I'm confident about that, that I'm right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know what kind of hybrid I am in all of that. I appreciate that. I'm an eight. So I often feel <laughs> oh, right. Oh, you are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm an eight with a seven wing and my wife's a, uh, a very wonderful nine. So. Oh, that's yeah. good. She's yeah. good for you. That's she's, great. And you're probably great for her too. So. I hope so. Most days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a good combo. Um. So I, I, you know, as this book is now out in the wild, I, I know that my podcast family loves to pray. What's your prayer that surrounds uh, a piece of, uh, you know, writing like this, a resource for parents? What have you and Andy been praying and how can we come alongside you and pray for this book? Yeah. Wow. That's a great question. Um, 
we just want it to be in the hands of parents. And Mm. so whatever that means, we will give them away. I mean, we just want, especially young parents who are starting out in the journey, we just feel like it's a great resource. Maybe every author thinks their book is a great resource. You know, I hope they do, or they shouldn't have written it. But yeah, but we, you know, just knowing the journey as we have known it and living the journey as we've lived it, I have, I've said this a few times, um, if we did, our, so again, our children are in their late twenties, early thirties. If we didn't know our kids and we met them, we would want to be friends mm. with them. And that was kind of our bullseye on the target. You know, the whole book is, you know, about getting it right. And the, it is figuring out what your, it, you know, our, it was, we wanted to raise kids who wanted to be with us and with each other when yeah. they no longer had to be. So the whole thing was about parenting with the relationship in mind, relationship with their heavenly father, relationship with us, relationship with each other, relationships with other people. And we just think that is for us, it was the bullseye on the target. Mm-hmm. And it got us to these friendship years in a, with a relationship with our kids like we dreamed of having. And we just want that for parents. Mm. We want it so badly for parents. And um, so I guess the prayer is that God would just put this book in the hands of whoever he wants to put it in, in whatever the timing is that they need it and that they would find that they would find help. Um, Mm. Parents are desperate to get the parenting thing right. We know that almost every parent is feels almost a desperation to get it right because the stakes are high. We love our kids so much. We want the best for them. And we know that we could easily mess it up. (laughs) So, you know, so I think we all just really want that. So I guess my prayer for the book is that it would be in the hands it needs to be in, in God's timing and um, that it would be helpful. Yeah, I love that. And I, I know that there's tons of people who will be listening that can pray that along with you. And so that, that'll be good. That's a good prayer. Um, okay, I have one more question for you. But before I ask it, I know that the podcast family is going to want to connect with you all over the interwebs. Where's the best place to learn all things Sandra and to keep tuned in what you're writing next? Oh, wow. Well, um, I guess probably just our northpoint.org website kind of has all the things that we're up to and doing. Um, SandraStanley.com has resources. My daughter, Allie, who is a new mom, um, she is in ministry. She also graduated from Dallas Seminary like Andy and I did at Dallas Theological Seminary. And she and I are getting ready to write a mom-daughter resource. Yes. So we're really excited about that, something that moms and daughters can do together. And our target audience is moms with girls from probably fifth or sixth grade to about ninth or 10th grade. And just kind of touching on some of the topics that moms and daughters navigate together that may be a little bit unique to, to girls. So, um, so we're getting ready to do that. I don't yet know for sure what the title is, but she's going to be writing, uh, we're taking about six topics. She'll write a short chapter to the girls. I write a little short chapter to the moms and then we give them some ways to interact and, and, um, and, and, you know, kind of talk through the material together. So we're excited about that coming down the pike. And that will, of course, probably also just be on sandrastanley.com. And of course, any of Instagram is really where I post more about the parenting stuff than anywhere else. Well, um, whenever that book comes out, I would love for you and Allie to come back on and talk about it as somebody who's really invested in this season of life that's coming up for my daughter and my wife. (laughs) I, I need all the help I can get to help 
that not mess it up for either yeah. of them. <laughs> Girls are different than boys for sure. Oh, it's so sure. different. A whole, it's... a whole new thing. You've just gotten in the rhythm, you know, knowing how to do this with your boys and then boom, it's different with the girl. <laughs> my, my daughter, um, came to us the other night and said, uh, she, she just said, I have all these feelings and then she shared them and I won't do that today. But, uh, and I don't know why I have them. And I was like, yeah. Oh man, I'm sweating. Here I'm sweating. We go. Here we Here go. We go. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. You know, with, with each of our kids, when they kind of hit 11, 12, 13, the hormone thing kicks in and it, it just all, it was different for everybody. Andrew yeah. went to his room for three years. Wow. Garrett, it kind of came out in rage and I would have him go scream in his pillow before we could have a conversation. Mm. I'm like, I need you to go upstairs, scream in your pillow. Allie, it was like your daughter. It was like tears and she didn't know why. And I had told her ahead of time, I said, Allie, there's going to come a day when you're going to probably cry for no reason. You're just not even going to know why you're crying. And there was one day she was crying and I was like, oh, Allie, what's the matter? And she goes, I don't know. I think this (laughs) is that thing you told me about. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, so that's where you are. So fun. So, so good. fun. Uh, okay, last question. It's uh, it's an advice question. I'm going to ask you to go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice, except Ooh. I get to name the season of life that it's in. And okay. so I'm going to take you back to um, the day that you brought Andrew home from the hospital, your oldest son. If you could go back in time and pull up a chair in front of that younger version of yourself that a young parent sit knee to knee with her, look her in the eyes and tell her one thing about what she's Mm. about to experience. What's the one thing? I think Tony, no. So, so I, you know, so I'm kind of got engineering background. I'm an analytical person. I like all my ducks in a row. I value efficiency so much. Mm -hmm. And one of the hard things I faced in parenting almost in every season, but especially in the younger years was prioritizing efficiency over connection and the two do not go together well. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I just, you know, I'd be so busy cleaning up or organizing or doing whatever that I just didn't stop enough and play. And I think what I would say to younger Sandra on the front end of a parenting journey is efficiency is nowhere near as important as connection with your kids. Mm. And so put it all aside. Um, This is a short season. It doesn't feel short when you're in it, but it is a short season. Get on the floor and play with your kids. That's what I would tell me. Amen. Amen. Sandra, thank you so much for being so generous with your time and popping on today and sharing your story and putting this resource in the hands of parents. Deeply, deeply appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for having me, Tony. It's one of my favorite things to talk about. So I appreciate it too. Told you guys what a rich and joyous conversation. I love her heart. I really appreciated the way she talks about relational, uh, kind of relational investment in parenting. I think it's different than what a lot of aspects are. I also like the idea of the stages and having teenagers. It's such an interesting season of our own life. So, hey, I'm thankful for you and for making it all the way to the end of the podcast. I know it's hard to do sometimes, but I appreciate it. I appreciate you. And if you could share this episode with a friend, um, it would mean the world to me. I'm so thankful for you and for being a part of this community. And remember, guys, if you want to follow Jesus, you must be willing to move.